John chapter number 19. I'd like to begin reading at verse number 14. The Bible says, And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, speaking of Pilate, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing the cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. I want you to pay close attention to verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for each and every heart and each and every set of ears that's here to hear your word. Now, Lord, I do not have within me to accomplish that which needs to be done. Father, I'm merely frail flesh and bone. God, I would ask through the unction and power of the Holy Ghost that you'd speak to hearts this morning. Lord, I'm not asking them for that. I'm asking you for that. Lord, I desire that each and every heart's need would be laid bare, both to the person to whom the heart belongs and to your eyes. Father, if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone without Christ, I pray that they not leave this place until they are saved. Lord, they're eternally lost. I pray they'd be eternally saved this morning. Father, I pray if there's one amongst us that's discouraged that you would uplift them in the way that only your comfort and only your sweet Holy Spirit can. One that has sin in their life, that you'd convict them, make them aware of it, Lord, that they might repent and grow closer to you. Father, all of this that we ask is beyond the reach and realm of human arm and human strength. So, Father, we ask it in faith, knowing you're able, and, Father, knowing you have a desire to do in hearts what would glorify you. We love you this morning, Lord, and we ask all this in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. 
I want to read verse 30 to you once more. It'll be our text this morning. The Bible says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up the ghost. I would probably say that there's not a person in here that has not at least heard this uh, verse read before in their life. There may be. But in a group this size, I would say the majority of people have still heard the story of the crucifixion. You've heard the sayings of our Lord upon the cross, seven things He uttered while He hung there paying for your sin and mine. We believe this to be the sixth of these sayings. He cried out in completion. He said, it is finished. I think about our Lord and Savior. You know, the Bible says in John chapter number 1 that He's the Word made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Do you know when you hold this book, you're holding something eternal? Not just eternal future, but eternal past. The Word of God has always existed in the person of Christ. Now thank the Lord in heaven that we have His Word manifest to us. But uh, the Word was made flesh. And you think about everything that our Lord did. Our Lord's ministry was one of manifestation and revelation. He came that He might reveal God the Father to this world. He came that He might show the heart and the mind of God to a lost and fallen humanity. And in doing so, everything that our Lord did had significance. I mean, our Lord, everything He said, it meant something. Everything He did, it meant something. He did nothing incidentally or accidentally, but everything our Lord did, He did on purpose. And it wasn't just a temporal purpose, but an eternal purpose. I think about the words that our Lord has spoken. You know, our our Lord has spoken a lot of beautiful things in the Word of God. Life-changing text verses. Theological truths that will forever alter your existence. We could go down the list and we could read a number of them. In John 8, 58, our Lord said, Before Abraham was, I am. What a gold mine of theological truth. Speaking of the eternally preexistent Christ, the Savior of mankind, the Son of Man, but hey, the Son of God. God in the flesh. He said, I, I did not begin to exist. I've always existed. I may have been incarnated, but I've always existed. John 10, 30 He said, I and my Father are one. Speaking of the unified nature between Him and His Father. John 14, 9 says, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Christ says, if you know me, you know God. You know, that's really what it comes down to this morning. Is it all right? I'm not this in the message, but is it all right if I say this? If you don't know Christ, you don't know God. I mean, you may know a lot of things, but if you don't know Christ, you don't know God. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. I mean, we can cut it a thousand different ways and we can have a thousand different excuses. But if you're here today and you don't personally know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're on your way to hell. Thank God that there's hope this morning. But until you receive that hope, until you receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, until you come to Him for forgiveness, then you're still eternally damned. And your only hope is through the cross of Calvary. People say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Christ. They're liars. They're liars. They might have a thousand reasons they'd rationalize that. But the Bible says that uh, Christ said, I and the Father were one. If you've received Christ, you've received the Father. John 14, 1 through 3. Uh, boy, I like this. He said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. In Revelation twenty two twenty, the eternal voice of the Savior spoke again and said, Surely I come quickly. John 6, 47 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. All of these verses are life-changing verses. 
But and I know it almost is the uh, the epitome of vanity. But if we could try to narrow down the sayings of our Lord, and if we could try to pick one saying that for whatever reason rises head and shoulders above everything else that our Lord said, the Word made flesh manifested to mankind, the very mind and heart of God expressed to a dying humanity. If we were to look at all His words and narrow it down and try to pick the greatest thing that Jesus ever said, I believe we'd find it in John 19.30. You see, if he hadn't spoken this phrase, none of the other phrases would have made a difference. Everything that Jesus Christ was, everything that he did, and everything that he said hinged upon this one phrase. Just just three words spoken in John 19.30. As he hung upon the cross and the sins of mankind had been paid for and the will of God had been fulfilled, he cried out and he said, It is finished. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not an English scholar. Amen. Uh, I'm not any kind of a scholar. But uh, they tell me that this was one Greek word that was translated into three. It is finished. And this word to telestai is used in a lot of different ways. Uh, Simply what it means is finished or culminated. And when Christ died upon the cross, he used this word to express the fulfillment of God's will. To telestai, to cry out, it is finished. But I would ask you this morning, what is finished? What is finished? What had to be completed? What need to be done? This word is used in a lot of different ways. I don't normally use a lot of uh, uh, sources other than just a text, but I found that I couldn't help but share these with you. There's a lot of ways this word was used in culture. You know, in Bible days, just like today, words were used in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different contexts. And this word, to tell us, I was used in a lot of different ways. It is finished, was said about a lot of different things. Let me give you a few of them. Do you know that when a servant in ancient times was given a task to complete by his master, When the master would look at his servant and say, I have a job for you to do. You're not to return until it is finished, until it is complete. You know, some people, some people work till they're finished. Some people work till they're done. You know what I mean? (laughs) Some of you have worked with people like that. They work till the whistle blow and then you worked with other people. They work till the job was done. To tell a sty is kind of a work till the job is done type, type word. And whenever the master would look at this servant and say, you need to work and you need to accomplish this task, do you know that when the servant would come back and report to his master, he would use one phrase, one word, he would look to his master and he would say, it is finished. It carried the idea of a task being completed, uh, not merely an allotment of time fulfilled, but a task finished thoroughly and completed perfectly. Do you know that our Lord and Savior came he said in the book of John, chapter number four, he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Our Lord sent his son into this world to accomplish a task and to finish a job. Thank the Lord in heaven that he finished the job. You know what I mean? I mean, hallelujah, that my works don't have to get me to heaven because the price has already been paid. There ain't anything you can do to get you to heaven. Christ's finished work on Calvary is the only thing that can save you from your sins. A servant would use this word. Farmers would use this word. When a farmer would have a newborn uh, calf or sheep or whatever it might be born into his flock, and he would look and study that with anticipation, this this uh, newborn animal that was born into his flock, when he was pronouncing the decision of a perfect specimen. This farmer would have waited, no doubt, uh, countless hours sitting beside this animal. Some of you that grew up around farms, you know, sometimes you got to do that. And waiting with anticipation to see when that little infant animal was born. 
When that little baby animal was born, that farmer would look at it head to toe. And he'd say, boy, that's a, that's a beautiful specimen. And he would use this phrase, he would say, to telestai, it is finished. It described an animal that was born and was perfect to all appearances. Aren't you thankful that the Word of God says in the book of John, John was looking one day and he saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. When Christ was born in this world, He was born without a sin nature. You and I, we, we were born with sin natures. We were born with sin natures. We were not born into perfect. I, no matter what your mama or daddy told you, you were not born into perfection. Amen. No matter what the television told you, you were not born into perfection. No matter, listen, no matter what your guidance counselor in school told you, you were not born into perfection. The Bible said, the psalmist said, in sin did my mother conceive me. We're born sinners into this world. That wasn't true of our Lord, Brother Al. The Bible says he was born of a virgin. Born of a virgin. You see, the sin nature is passed down through the man. <laughs> we take upon ourselves the nature of our fathers. And you know what our Lord took upon him? The nature of his father, too. He didn't have an earthly father, but he had a heavenly father. Farmers would use this word. Priests would use this word. You know, the responsibility of an Old Testament priest, and this is a great misnomer. A lot of people believe that the job of the Old Testament priest was to sacrifice. Do you know that outside of the Day of Atonement, that was not the responsibility of the Old Testament priest? The Old Testament priest's responsibility was that of offering. You say, what is the difference? The difference is who draws the blade across the neck, the animal. You see, this is the scenario that would have been played out. Uh, let's say that uh, let's say that Brandon, because he's a terrible sinner, wants to go and give an offering to the Lord, and it's going to have to be a big offering because the way he lives his life. Amen. And uh, he wants to present this offering unto God. He would bring whatever it might be, uh, whatever the animal was that he is sacrificing. He would bring it to the priest, and the priest would look at that animal, and the priest would inspect that animal. And the priest would decide whether that animal was worthy to be sacrificed to the God of heaven. Once the priest had decided that it was so, he would then hand the blade to Brannon. Brannon would then be the one because it's his sin. You know what that means? That means you don't need anybody to handle your relationship with God but you. That's what that means. And Brannon would take that blade and then he'd draw it across the neck of that animal. Then he would give that animal unto the priest and the priest would take and prepare it and offer it unto the Lord. When a priest was examining an animal to look for its perfection, to look for its worthiness, to, to look to see if it was approved unto God. When he found that animal to be worthy, he would speak approvingly. He would say to Telestai, it is finished. It was a word used by priests to show the authentication and the approval of Almighty God. Hey, it was used for God to say that that's worthy and I will receive it. Aren't you thankful that our Lord offered Himself up by one offering, once for all, He satisfied the judgment of God? Aren't you thankful that it's not an installment plan this morning? Aren't you thankful that He was worthy and He is worthy and He will be worthy? Aren't you thankful that His righteousness was enough? Priests would use this word. Artists would use this word, Brother Ralph. You say, is this the message? No, we're just gearing up, amen? Just sit tight, you'll be all right. Artists would use this word. When they had finally finished a sculpture or a painting or a carving, whatever it might have been, 
an artist would step back and examine the finished work and they would admirably look upon it and they would say to Telestai, it is finished. You know what that meant? They were saying, not another brush stroke. Not another brush stroke. Not, not another, don't let your blade, don't let your chisel hit it again. It's finished. It's perfect. <laughs> Do you know that all through the Old Testament, Christ was painting, a, or the Lord was painting a picture of the coming Messiah? All through the Old Testament, you can look, you can look all through the Old Testament and see pictures of our Lord and Savior coming to suffer for your sins and mine. As he cried out upon that cross, he was saying, this is the final brushstroke. This is the culmination. This is the tetelestai. This is the finished work. Merchants would use this word. I like this. Do you know that archaeologists were one day digging and they uncovered what was the equivalent of a... a I don't know what you'd call it, an ancient CPA's office, I guess you would say. A place that dealt in bonds and in monies and in debts in Egypt. And in Egypt, as they began to examine all these different documents that they had uncovered, everything was written in Egyptian. But when they would find a bill that had been paid in full, (laughs) let me say it again, when they found a bill that had been paid in full and the debt had been canceled, they would find a Greek word written upon it. It was the word tetelestai. It meant that a debt had been canceled. It meant that a price had been paid. It meant that the pardon had been offered. In fact, in ancient times when a deed was bought and paid for, until it was signed and dated, it was not legal. And when it was signed, and oh, hallelujah, that there was a day when I was signed and dated by the blood of Jesus Christ. God wrote to Telestai on my sin. i give you one more. When a Roman citizen was thrown into prison, they would take and the judge would write up a bill of offenses. And this bill of offenses chronicled everything that that man was in prison for. And when that man was put in his prison cell, they would then take that that list of offenses, that what we would call a rap sheet today, and they would take that criminal record and they would nail that on the outside of his jail cell. And people walking by, if they were curious as to this man's guilt, they could look upon that, that page and they could see all the horrible and awful and nasty things that he had done in his life. All the offenses, all the wrong things were written there. When that man's jail time was up or when a pardon was given by the authorities, that same piece of paper would be taken off of that jail cell and taken to the judge that had wrote it out. Guess what he wrote? <laughs> He would sit down and in Greek, he would dip his quill and he would write the word to Telestai. It is finished. It meant that the sins of that man had been paid for. It meant that the guilt had been eradicated. And then you know what he'd do? Oh, I like this. They'd then take that bill and they'd give it to that man. Do you know why? Because there's probably some people out there that would accuse that fella. There's probably some people out there that when he walked around, they'd start to whisper back and forth to each other, and they'd say, you know that fella? He used to be in prison. You know that fella right there? Do you know what he did? Do you know what he did? Do you know what he's capable of? And maybe the officials would come up to him and they'd say, you know, you're out here on parole. You know the Lord don't parole us, He pardons us. (laughs) 
But the world thinks he paroles us. Listen, the charismatics think that he paroles us. That's what they think. They think he lets us out on good behavior and assuming we do all right, we're okay. I don't believe that, neighbor. I believe he pardons us. And if someone would come up and accuse him, he could take that piece of paper out and he could say, I know you think you know me and I know you think you know what I owe. But the judge has written paid in full and pardoned on my record and he's freed me. And I have a right to walk in liberty. Do you know that as believers, the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. Do you know that as believers, and some of you that maybe walked a a little bit longer before you got saved and you did some things in your life that you regret, do you know that some of you, the, the devil is liable to come up beside you and say, you know, the Lord couldn't really save you. That's what he's going to tell you. He's going to say, Lord couldn't really forgive you. Look at all them awful things that you've done. And some of you that are here today and lost and undone without Christ, the devil will sit down right beside you and say, He can't save you. It's too big. He can't save you. Your sins are too dark. He can't save you. It's just too much. It's just too much. Do you know that as believers, you know what you do when that happens? When that happens, you take out that record. And you say, He said to Palestine. He said, I'm pardoned. He said, by His grace and by His blood, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His own mercy, He saved us. Uh, The Bible says that salvation is by faith and by grace and not by works. It's not about my record. He's done wiped it clean and given me a new name. The Lord said to Telestai, what was He saying? I'm going to give you three things. I believe He was saying, it is finished, the pain of redemption was finished. We could never describe the pain that our Lord and Savior suffered upon the cross. It's beyond the human realm of understanding. I believe that the the suffering of our Lord basically fell into two separate categories. There's basically what we would call the physical or the temporal pain of our Lord upon Calvary. We can't even fathom that. I mean, listen, I, I know that Hollywood has tried to tell you what it was like when our Lord was crucified, but let me tell you something. Read the book. It's much better. It's much better. And it'll tell you real. I mean, it'll tell you how it really was. Seven things they did to our Lord. We could probably count a thousand, but I'll name off seven of them very quickly to you. I'll give you the references for them. In Matthew 27, 26, he was scourged. So what does it mean to be scourged? To be scourged meant they took a whip and they whipped his back. You say, well, that don't sound so bad. I mean, people have been through that. Let me describe it for you. They had what they called a cat of nine tails whip. Most of you that have grown up in church, you've heard this a thousand times. It was a whip that had multiple strands on nine different strands that were upon it. These were not short strands. We kind of think of a whip as being something, you know, just just real real small. You know, something that's whipped. How many got whipped by switches growing up? And you lived? How did that happen? Somebody needs to call Dr. Phil and tell him he's got something wrong. Amen. Uh, we're not talking about a little switch that you get whipped with. But these were long strands and they would tie into them pieces of glass and rock and whatever they could find, anything sharp. And the design of this whip was not merely to lash the back, but the design was for it to wrap around the skin and to dig into the body. That big soldier would then take that and pull on it and shred the flesh, and the skin. The book of Isaiah says that his visage was marred. You say, what's a visage? That's your appearance. 
What does it mean to mar? It means to mutilate beyond recognition. Our Lord, when they got done with him, didn't even look like a human being anymore. Hollywood can't doll up what happened to our Lord. Uh, Human mind can't even really fathom what our Lord experienced. He was scourged. The Bible says he was beaten. Beaten. They took their fists and they smote him. The Bible says that he was spit upon. There's about nothing in the world more insulting than being spit upon. When I was growing up, I remember I'd get into it with my older brother. My only defense was to spit on him. How many of you were younger brothers and know exactly what I'm talking about? That's all I could do. Boy, you know, it made him mad. I ain't figured that out. I ain't figured, which one of you is the older? You're the older? That made you mad when he did that, didn't it? <laughs> There's something insulting about it. But you know, it's one thing for you or me to get spit upon. Who are we? But the God of heaven, robed in flesh, here on a mission of love, neighbor, here to die for your sins and for my sins. He was spit upon. The Bible says that our Lord had his beard plucked out. That bothers some of our brethren. Can't pluck it out if you ain't got one. Amen. But I don't care whether you got one or not, but don't tell me the Lord didn't because they plucked it out. If you ain't got a beard, you don't know what that's like. If you've got a beard and a baby, Brother Kerry, you know exactly what that's like. Somebody say amen. Beard plucked out. He was stripped naked. Stripped naked. Open in shame before this world. The Bible says that he was pierced for you and me. The design of crucifixion was not that a person bleed out nor that they necessarily die of pain, although it was a painful existence. But the design of crucifixion was that they would asphyxiate, that they would smother. And it was unusual that they pierced our Lord. That was not normally how it would be done. Normally they would lash a person to a cross. And the design was whenever they would drop them into the hole after being beaten and after having their tendons worked loose, and sometimes they would even dislocate them before they put them on the cross, the design was that when they would drop the cross in the hole, that the sudden jar would dislocate their shoulders. And then unable to lift themselves up, they would slowly asphyxiate. Our Lord did not have His hands tied. He had His hands pierced. We believe, and and I believe this is accurate, that they were not pierced in the palm but in the wrist. Because the palm, it would have had to have broken a bone. And the Bible says not a bone in him was broken. And so those nails, you say, how big were they? Big enough to hold a grown man. Were pierced through his wrists and through his feet. And there hanging upon the cross, a bridge between heaven and earth, he died for your sins and for mine. But I don't even think that was the worst pain, you know. Because there was a temporal pain, but there was a spiritual pain that took place. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Not that we knew no sin. He knew no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. He did no sin. He was sinless. And listen to me today, church. He did not just bear your sin. He became your sin. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It will never, ever occur to the 
human and finite mind of man what took place in the darkness. For a space of three hours, darkness overtook the earth. Not the, not the region, the earth. The book of Luke says the earth. God pulled the veil closed. He was not dealing with man at that point. He was dealing with the Son of Man. He was not dealing. He closed the drapes on the judgment of God. Some say, as the song said, that he turned his back upon him. I think that's accurate to say. Others say that it was during that time he was dealing with him. And I think that's equally as accurate to say. Because I believe there in the darkness our Lord and Savior became the sin of mankind uh, from the beginning of man till whenever known only to the mind and heart of God, sin will cease to exist. He bore all sin past and present and future. Listen, he died as a murderer. He died as a rapist. He died as a pedophile. He died as an adulterer. He died as a thief. He died as the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. He became our sin upon that cross. He didn't just bear it. He became it. Separated from the Father. You say, why do you believe that? Because as He hung upon the cross, He cried out. And the Bible even gives us the original Hebrew that He cried out in. He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. You say, what does that mean? The Bible tells us that it means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Boy, that's the question, isn't it? There, the relationship between father and son was severed. That he might bring many sons unto righteousness and unto glory. Why did he forsake Christ? He forsook him so he wouldn't have to forsake me and you. For that space of time on the cross, he forsook the Savior. That he might be able to say to us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He bore our sin. But can I say to you that when it is finished was written... The pain of the cross was finished. Never again will they inflict pain on my Savior. Never again will man with his wicked hands and wicked hearts slay the Lord of glory. Never Listen, he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming back for a vote. He's coming back to set up a kingdom. And when he comes back to this world visible and in power and in glory, and I believe he's coming for his church first. But when He comes back in power and in glory, He is not coming as the meek Galilean. But He's coming as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords, with His vesture dipped in blood, with a name written on His thigh, with the Word of God as a sharp and two-edged sword, piercing out of His mouth to destroy the armies of this world. He's not coming back as a meek Galilean. The pain was finished at Calvary. Could I say the pain of redemption was finished? But could I say the plan of redemption, was finished and fulfilled at Calvary. This was a foreordained plan. The Bible calls him, in the book of Revelation, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Calvary was not an audible when the law didn't work. Stop and think. You say, what was before the foundation of the world? Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing in the beginning before the heavens and the earth, except God in His eternally pre-existent state. That tells me that even before this world was ever flung into existence, Christ was foreordained to die for your sins and mine. 
sent to this world. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Acts, chapter number uh, 2 and verse 22. Peter speaking says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. Peter said that he was the Lamb of God that was foreknown and foreordained for you and me. This was always God's plan. Always God's plan. But could I say that not only was it a foreordained plan, hallelujah, it was a finished plan. It was a fulfilled plan. There ain't another thing that has to be done for you to be redeemed except for you to accept what Christ did on Calvary. There's not a single thing for you to do. It was finished. When he said finished, it was finished. He didn't say finished for a short while. He didn't say my part is finished, now you do yours. He said it's finished. It's fulfilled. It's done. I'll quote it again in John chapter 4. My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. And to what? To work at His work. To start at His work. To try at His work. He said to finish His work. Christ finished it on Calvary. The plan was culminated. When the fullness of time was come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the curse of the law. You know what that means, fullness of time? It means when, when it was time for the plan to be fulfilled. He bought with His cross His crown. He bought with His cross His kingdom. I understand that it was His kingdom before the cross, just as it's His kingdom now. But the Bible says uh, that He is a great high priest passed into the heavens, and that He is a faithful high priest because of the things which He suffered. He fulfilled the work that God sent Him to do. Maybe one more. Could I say that the pain of redemption was fulfilled? The plan of redemption was fulfilled. But could I say that the payment of redemption was fulfilled. You say, what's the difference? Well, there's a lot of people that believe that Christ died for our sins and His His death is enough, but that we have to do our part to accompany and, and, and to fulfill and to finish the work of Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I don't know anybody that believes that. Do you know someone that believes in a work salvation? If you do, then, then you know somebody that believes in that. Do you know somebody that believes in salvation by baptism? Then you know somebody that believes that. Do you know somebody that believes that if they're not part of a church, that they're going to die and go to hell? Then you know somebody that believes that. Because what they're saying is this, uh, the death of Christ on Calvary plus any other thing is needed for my salvation. The Bible says that it's of, if it's of works, it's no more of grace. And if it's of grace, it's no more of works. Any intermingling of grace and works is enough to send a man to hell. The Bible teaches that our debt was condemnation. John chapter 3 and verse 18 says that God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. Verse 19 says that if we believe not on the only begotten Son of the Father, we're condemned already. The wrath of God abides on us. The book of Romans, chapter number 6, says, For the wages of sin. Are you a sinner? Now, now I, I don't mean are you a sinner relative to whoever's around you. I mean are you a sinner, yes or no? 
Yes or no? Are you a sinner? I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I was born a sinner. I'm a sinner by nature. I'm a sinner by action. I know I'm a sinner. Now, don't say, well, you know, I'm a sinner, but I'm pretty good. No, if you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And the wages of sin is death. You say, what is this death? In the book of Revelation, chapter number 20, the Bible says, and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying that if you draw a breath in this world, and if you come to an age where you can make a decision, that you automatically, by default, are on your way to a devil's hell. You say, preacher, that's hard. Preacher, that's bleak. Preacher, that, that's mean. That's hateful. No, it's not hateful, because let me tell you the good part. Listen, if there was no hope, it would be hate to warn men of hell. Because if there was no hope, it would be better that they live in bliss until they face their torment. But thank God that there is hope. Thank God that there is hope. You say, preacher, there's hope for me. Yeah, there's hope for you. He said, preacher, I'm the worst there is. No, Paul already took that title. He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. You're going to have to argue with Paul about that. He said, I was the worst of the worst. He said, I am not meant to be called an apostle. I'm the least of all the apostles. And I'm not meant to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But he said, I found mercy with God. Because I did it in ignorance, God was willing to save me. God was willing to look down on me. God was willing to come to where I was. He did not get saved in the temple. He got saved on the road of persecution. God knocked him off his high horse, blinded his sin-filled eyes, destroyed his pride and said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Brought him face to face with heaven. Said, Paul, you got a choice to make. <laughs> he said, I was not disobedient to, to that heavenly command. <laughs> the debt is condemnation. But let me give you good news, and I'm going to hush, and, I'm, and we'll close. We got food waiting. I'm surprised you ain't rioted yet. Can I tell you this morning, listen with all your heart to what I'm about to say. It will mean the difference between heaven and hell for you. Your debt is condemnation. But thanks to Calvary, your debt has been canceled. Your debt has been canceled. You don't have to die and go to hell. You don't have to. Your pride can send you to hell. You say, I don't need that. Well, you need—you don't need it, but I know I did. A dumb politician said that religion is a crutch. I say, no, brother, it's the whole stretcher. It's the whole stretcher. He's a wrestler. How dumb is that, brother Ron? We're, we're electing wrestlers to office. We are politic poor in this country when we're electing wrestlers. Rest. He wasn't even a wrestler. He was a wrestler. And we elected him to office. We didn't, but them crazy people up there did. And he said, it's a crutch. No, it ain't crutch. It's the whole stretcher. I didn't need help. I needed hope. I, I didn't need assistance. I needed forgiveness. I, I didn't need... I, listen, I didn't need someone just to give me a hand up. I needed someone to carry me. Christ paid for your sins at Calvary. The only way you can die and go to hell is of your own choice. It's the only way. You say, nobody would choose that. No, but they'd choose to turn away from the sweet wooing power of the Holy Spirit of God. And they'd choose to turn away from the Almighty God and a precious Savior that died for their sins. 
If you never hear it again in your life, hear it from this preacher when he says that we're born sinners into this world, but we can be born again by the grace of God. So how do I do that, preacher? The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That still works today. Works as good today as it ever worked. You can get saved the same way I got saved. You say, how did you get saved? I realized I was lost on my way to hell. And I quit trying to save myself. I called upon an almighty God according to his word. I said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm on my way to hell and I can't do anything about it. But you told me you loved me and you told me you'd save me. If I'd ask for you to save me and put my trust in you. You know, he forgives me. He forgave me my sins. He washed me in his blood. He, he put his spirit inside me to indwell me. Say, oh, preacher, you must be perfect. Not by a long shot, but I am redeemed. I am redeemed by his grace. And you can be too. It's your choice. No one will make you. No one will stop you. It's your choice this morning. Hallelujah. The Lord can write to Telestyle on your sins today. And you can be part of the family of God.